Well, good morning, community of faith. We're glad that you're here with us. We're glad you're joining us online. I want to give a special shout out today to the Perry family. Their patriarch, Andy Perry, is celebrating his 85th birthday, but he has 17 family members and loved ones here with them today, which I think is awesome. Also want to give a shout out to my daddy. He's watching online today. Today would have been my mother's 83rd birthday. And really so much of what I have learned and know about marriage comes from watching them across the years. So I love you, daddy. And we're happy to have you watching with us today. A few weeks ago, uh, we had a, a ladies event on Wednesday night. There were about 900 of you ladies that were here. We ask you 10 questions anonymously. One of those questions, as you uh, let us know, was, I'm starting to lose hope in my marriage, yes or no? Almost half of you said yes. We're broken, aren't we? We're hurting. We're suffering. And I'm so glad that, you know, sometimes you go to a church and it just seems so superficial that a community of faith, that it's real, that it's authentic, and that we talk about the things that are really going on in our lives. It's important that we do this. And so these next three Sundays, Laura and I are going to talk with you about some things. We're going to dive deep into some tools that are based on the ancient wisdom of Scripture. And actually, the latest neuroscience is showing these to be true. It won't be easy But at the end of that three weeks, I think that you'll have a whole new view of yourself, of your marriage, of your spouse, of what's been holding you back. But this morning, Laura and I kind of wanted to form a, 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 establish a baseline for exactly what to expect from marriage. Because I think we have a lot of misconceptions. If our expectations are wildly off, we're in a a place that's going to be really difficult to fix, right? So in order for it to function properly, we have to figure out exactly what marriage is. So we'll talk about that for a few minutes today. And then the next two weeks, we're going to get into some tools that I pretty much guarantee that you don't know and that you're not practicing right now, especially if you're struggling, that you might have never heard before, but God turned our marriage around using these tools. Paul in the Bible says, marriage is a profound mystery. Do you love a mystery? Laura loves Dateline. She loves to watch, you know, it's always the husband. And I'm starting to wonder why she loves to watch that, but I'll be watching like my sci-fi movie. And she goes, this is way too violent. We need to turn it over to Dateline. You know, I said, those are real murders, you know? And then there's old Keith Morrison on there. He's kind of the Dr. Seuss of murder. You know, don't you love that? Was it her loving husband? <laughs> you know, and, and I just love, think, think if Keith Morrison was talking about your marriage. You got married. Oh my. And you thought you knew everything you needed to know, but do you? What's going on? Is it? The loving husband, the wife. You know, I think that we're struggling in our marriages. And part of the reason is we have never even been taught 
the reason for marriage. No one teaches us that. No one talks about that. If I ask you this morning to write on a piece of paper, what is the purpose of marriage? And you turned it in, I bet we would get over a hundred different answers at least. Maybe as many different answers as there are people here. And unfortunately, almost everyone, and maybe every one of them would be wrong. But you see, if we don't know what we're working on, how are we going to know what we're working to do? Over 40% of Americans believe that marriage is obsolete, a social artifact whose expiration date has passed. But what if the problem wasn't marriage, but us? What if we in our culture had just missed the whole point of marriage? What if we had failed to unravel that profound mystery? What if marriage contains a meaning and a purpose far greater than what we've understood from our culture? I know for me, when I said I do all those years ago, I mean, I didn't. I mean, I really had no idea what I was saying I do too. I mean, my vision of marriage, my idea was that I was going to be Cinderella and Mark was going to be Prince Charming and he was going to meet every need and do everything I wanted him to do. And I was going to be perfectly happy and we were going to live happily ever after. You know, it didn't take a whole lot of time, only a couple of months before I realized that that's really not how my marriage is going to be. You and mean I wasn't Prince Charming? I didn't say that. (laughs) He was Prince Charming, but I probably wasn't so much a princess at that point. Um, I wasn't Prince Charming either. And about seven years into this thing, I mean, we were done. Mark left. I was home alone with the kids, completely broken. And I think it was during this time that I finally realized that God was trying to do something in me that I had been working at cross purposes with God in my marriage for those first seven years. God's plan was to completely break me down and rebuild me into his own image. And he wanted to use my marriage to do that. I had no idea that that was his plan for marriage. And my guess is you probably didn't know that either when you got married. All of us at some point in our marriages, probably multiple times in our marriages, we come to that place that where we realize that God's plans are not our plans, right? That his plans are different from ours. Maybe for you, that's this moment right now. You're finally beginning to realize that the issues in your relationship between the two of you, it's not your husband or it's not your wife. It's not the circumstances that you're in, but it's the fact that God had a vision and purpose for your relationship and you hadn't even ever considered that that was the case. God's vision is to transform me into a whole new creation, like a a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. And the Bible says that God's going to be working on me until the day I see him face to face. So that means until the day I die. And that means for those of us that are married, that he's going to do that in the context of our marriage relationship. That's his purpose for you. And that's a little bit different than my Cinderella vision that I had for my marriage and probably different from what you envisioned as well. Do you know what happens to a caterpillar when it goes into the cocoon? It goes in there and God completely breaks down that caterpillar to a cellular level. It becomes essentially 
goo inside. Which pretty the... much describes our marriage at year seven. <laughs> it does. But then something miraculous happens. He re- rebuilds it from that cellular level into a brand new creature. And out of this cocoon comes this beautiful butterfly that no longer is crawling on the ground, but now it flies. And that's what he's trying to do in you and me. And he uses our marriages to do that. God describes this metaphor, metamorphosis in Ephesians 5.31. It says the two will become one flesh. That's God's vision. Two distinct individuals that come together in the marriage cocoon and they come out something else entirely, something beautiful, something that soars. That's God's plan. That's what he's trying to do in you. Wow. I mean, no one ever warned me. Did anyone ever tell you that before you got married? I had no idea. God brings us together, bathes us in his love, and then he begins that hard work of making us into one. He disassembles our hearts and then reassembles our hearts and puts us back together. And honestly, that's a pretty big undertaking on God's part. He's been working on that in Mark and I for almost 40 years, and he's got time to go still. Marriage is one of God's most powerful tools to revolutionize the human heart. The problem is that we start out as independent beings, right? We're totally separate. I mean, I was living in my world where I was the main character. All that mattered to me was what I wanted and my vision of things and what my desires and dreams and feelings were. Everything revolved around me. And the same was true for Mark. And then what happens? Well, you meet the guy or you meet the girl and you fall in love, right? And love is a powerful thing. Scott Peck, psychiatrist, he says that 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 feeling of falling in love is our ego boundaries dropping. And what happens is our body and our brain is flooded with oxytocin, which is the closeness hormone and, and these endorphins and other things that our body produces itself. He said, basically, your body drugs you. See, you can look at that and say, that explains it. I would never have married that person if I hadn't been drugged, you know? That's what your body does. But he says that true love can't even start to happen until those feelings wear off. But that's what our culture is seeking, those feelings all the time. So there we are, two people in love, drugged, like Mark said, and we stand face to face. And we, what do we do? We make those vows to one another, right? We say these words to one another, and, and maybe you didn't give a whole lot of thought to it. I mean, maybe you just thought it's just tradition, this is what we do. But those vows are costly. And when we make them to one another, it has a cost. It's going to require something of you and me. And God sets into motion his plan of action and his purpose in your marriage. I mean, I took her for better or worse, but she was a lot worse than I took her for. No. <laughs> he says he's kidding, but honestly, that was probably <laughs> true. Um, there were some issues there. But my question for you today is, you've tried it your way. Are you ready to try it God's way? See, what you've tried to do up till now is to to conjure up love by sheer force of will. I mean, think about it. What's your typical strategy been, uh, you know, to try to make your marriage better? It's try harder, right? And you grit your teeth and you say, I'm going to love if it kills me. And it's killing you, isn't it? 
You see, God has some, some tools for us to use and, and he doesn't want us to just do more of the same with maximum effort. Even if you go to a therapist, they'll give you the big three C's a lot of times. And I love counseling. In fact, you know, on that little brochure we sent out, you get a 40% discount for counseling. These three weeks are just the start. Our counselors are amazing at working with some of the stuff that we're going to talk about over these next three Sundays. But the, a, a typical therapist will say, what's the big three C's? You know, you, you need to communicate, you need to cooperate, and you need to compromise. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg, what you can see above the surface, because underneath there's this stuff, and it's pretty deep, and it's pretty profound, and it's pretty ugly, and that's what causes the shipwreck. You're trying to communicate, but suddenly everything just goes offline, right? And you say things that you never thought you would hear yourself saying. We're going to talk about how to deal with that next week. But listen to what the Apostle Paul says about marriage. This is to the husbands, but we're, we're just going to, not going to apply it so much to the husbands today. Just talk a little about marriage. It says in Ephesians 5, 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He goes all the way back thousands of years before. And when he says a man shall leave his father, he's quoting Moses talking about Adam and Eve and God putting them together. But what does it even mean to leave your father and mother? I don't think it's like just get away from them physically. It's he's talking there about the ways that we learned to love how we learn to find that emotional attachment from parents who were doing the best that they could, but they're just human beings, okay? Maybe you had good parents and, and you learned some positive things, but there were still some things missing. You'll find that out. And maybe you just had to try to make it in spite of them, you know, but it helped you make it through childhood. And I want to say congratulations, you're a survivor, if some people had had your particular circumstances, they would have just curled up in a ball and died. You didn't do it. You're here. But that's not working for you now in your adult relationships. And you're still attempting, we'll find out, to put some of those same things that worked into practice because that's what we do. That's how our brain works. If there's one thing that I learned about God, it's that he doesn't do things without purpose. And see, over this next couple of weeks, he wants to change how you see yourself, how you see your spouse, how you see marriage. Everything that God created was for a purpose. And when he created marriage, he didn't just draw straws or, or, or roll dice and say, well, this is a good pattern, you know. 
nice evolutionary pattern for marriage or something, make things work. He patterned marriage so purposefully so that it would reflect the relationship that his son has with his church, which he planned from eternity past. But what's more, he planned marriage to be the training ground that would prepare us to rule and reign with him forever. See, if you're a believer and you've stepped into this relationship with Jesus, you know that this is boot camp, right? He's training us for something. I don't understand all that it is. He gives little inklings in the Bible, but we're gonna, he wants us to be overcomers so we can rule and reign with him forever. You're not gonna sit around in heaven for a billion years and play a harp. That's not what happens. We're gonna rule and reign with him. So we're in this boot camp. One secular psychologist, I think, still hit the nail on the head when he put it this way. We all marry our unfinished business. You just look at your significant other there and say, hey, unfinished business, you know, that's who they are. That's what's happening. Someone said to me, you know, we lived together before marriage and it seemed like it went pretty good. And then we got married and it seemed like all hell broke loose. All hell did break loose because hell hates marriage. Marriage is to show the world something really significant about God. It's kind of like when you choose to follow Jesus, all hell breaks loose. I'm not one of those preachers that say, hey, if you step into this relationship with Jesus, it's all gonna be just rosy, it's gonna be great. No, it's gonna be warfare, it's gonna be difficult. It's easy to float downstream like a dead fish, right? But going against culture is, is not easy. And I think most of us kind of have the wrong picture of what marriage is like. We sort of picture marriage like buying a, a new car. That's what I did. You know, oh, the new car smell, and oh, this is great, and everything's new, and it's so fun to figure out how this works, right? You know, I mean, all the technology on the car that I've never had before. And then that new car smell, especially if you have kids, becomes that French fry under the seat smell kind of thing, you know. And then the transmission goes out. You got a lemon. What do you do? Send her back to the dealership. We can't do that, can we? Doesn't work that way. No, what is mar marriage is more like two people coming together with a whole lot of broken parts. And we have these, these broken parts and God wants us to spend the rest of our lives together building something beautiful and it can only happen with his help out of those broken parts. But see, I think that gives you hope right now, even if you're really struggling, it's broken. Yeah, we're broken. The world is broken. But God is bigger. God has a plan. God wants to work in the midst of our brokenness. And I think that that's really important that we understand that even in our brokenness, God wants to make something beautiful out of it. You remember when God first made the woman, he took a rib out of the side of the man and fashioned it into the woman. And I think when two people get married, he comes back again and he opens up the side of the man and he inserts that woman into that space that has been empty for so long. And, and the man even kind of considered it his own space, right? 
And he puts the woman in there permanently and intrusively into his life. And, and suddenly things aren't the way that he thought they were. It's kind of the same way that Jesus takes us into himself when we come into relationship with him. And he says, now you're here in me permanently forever. This is where you reside. That's what God is doing in marriage. Ephesians 5.25, Mark read it earlier, but it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what it means to be in a marriage relationship, that you're giving yourself up for one another. I mean, no one's ever been married without being shocked by the enormity of the price that they have to pay, right? For the inconvenience, for the, this thing called intimacy that suddenly invades your life when you get married. When Mark and I uh, got married in our actual wedding ceremony, we did a unity candle. Maybe you guys did that as well, but we had two candles that were already lit and we each took one and then together, uh, being careful not to light my hair or veil on fire, we lit the candle in the middle. And then we blew out those two candles and it was like a, a beautiful symbol of two people coming together and becoming one in marriage. And it was a sweet symbol, but it really had nothing uh, to do with what was actually going to take place in our marriage. It's a different matter when that flame that needs to be blown out isn't just a little flickering candle, but it's that inferno of, of selfishness and pride and independence. I read. I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. I didn't know how selfish she was either until we got married. <laughs> Or how selfish I was as well. But I read this week that marriage wages an unrelenting guerrilla warfare against selfishness. And we all feel that, right? We feel that in our relationships and it's hard. Marriage is a constant death and resurrection, dying to my selfish interests and coming to life as I promote the interests of my spouse, as I promote the interests of Mark. Mike Mason, the author of The Mystery of Marriage, he put it like this. One of the chief characteristics of real love, it asks for everything. Not just a little bit or a whole lot, but everything. There's no one who's not broken by this process. It's excruciating. And no one can stand up to it Everyone gets broken on the wheel of love, and the breaking that takes place is like nothing else under the sun. So like Mark said just a minute ago, if you feel broken today, I want you to know that's okay. You're in the right place. We're all broken, and we all have issues, and that's what God is doing. He says, I have you here because I'm working on you. I'm making you into my image. You know, the biblical viewpoint of marriage is about as di diametrically opposed to the cultural view of marriage as anything could be. Staying married is not really about staying in love, contrary to what the world would tell us and contrary probably to what you believe, because I know that's what I believed as well. But the biblical viewpoint of marriage is about keeping covenant with one another. And as we keep covenant with one another, the possibility of being profoundly in love almost 40 years later is so much greater than if you think marriage is just about that feeling of love. 
Marriage was intended to be such a faithful, loyal, unbreakable covenant between a husband and a wife that the whole rest of the world and the children in particular would get a vision and a picture of the faithfulness of God to us. His covenant with us. When marriages break up, it sends a false message, especially to our children, that God's love doesn't endure, that he's not faithful, that he can't be trusted. The culture, the breakdown of marriages over the years has had a profound impact on our culture in this country. Did you know that only two in 10 Americans under the age of 30 believe that attending church is important or worthwhile? Two out of 10. 59% of those under 30 who were raised in church have now dropped out. 35% under those, those under 30 have an, actually an anti-church stance, thinking that church does more harm than good. And for those under 30, they are the least likely age group of anyone to attend church. What's wrong? What happened? How did we go from a country that was founded on Christian principles and the freedom of religion to this? a culture that doesn't see any importance in being here and worshiping God. I think our marriages have failed this generation. Instead of showing them the vision of a God who's faithful, we've shown them that, that marriage doesn't last, that God's not faithful, that love can't make the distance. You know, God's vision is not that marriage is a joining of two worlds, but it's an abandoning of two worlds to become one new, complete world. In this sense, the call to be married can be compared to when Jesus called out his disciples and when he called out you. And he said, I want you to leave everything and come follow me. That's the same kind of total abandonment that God is calling us to in marriage. That's how me becomes we. My desires, my plans, my time, all of that changes to be we, our desires, our plans, our time. You know, marriage is so incredibly impossible that only God could have dreamed it up, right? He could have only been the one to invent it because it takes his power to make it happen. That's the only way you'll survive in marriage is if you follow him and his will every step of the way. The foundation of marriage is not love, but vows. And a vow is not like the signing of a legal document or contract, or not like any other form of human promise. A person cannot promise to love another person. They can only vow to do so. And to keep a vow is to devote the rest of our lives to discovering what the vow means and to be willing to change and to grow accordingly. At the most practical level, the vows hold the marriage together. This is just another way of saying that love is not a feeling. Love is an act of the will. Mike Mason again, he says this, love is an exclamation mark, but the vows ask a question. How bright is the sun, exclaims love, while the vows ask, how dark a night are you prepared to pass through? 
Marriages that are dependent on good feelings fall apart, but marriages that consistently look back to their vows, those wild promises made before God to trust him, to make sense out of them, find a continual source of strength and renewal. Dick Hill on our staff. Dick was married to an amazing woman by the name of Dot. Dot would just light up a room when she would come in. And, but the thing, in the last six or seven years of Dot's life, she developed this genetic disease that slowly trapped her inside of her body, little by little, until she couldn't move, she couldn't speak. In the most incredible way, I watched as Dick loved her and took care of her through every one of those years. And listen to what he says about his marriage. I was chosen to be the one who would love her and be loved by her. God, it's perfect in his plan for us. When you love someone who needs you, there's a depth of love unimaginable. Everything that the world thinks is so important seems so temporary. What you drive, what color you paint the room, what you wear, and on and on. But to be able to kiss her face every day was joy unspeakable. It was a treasure to come in a room and have a faint voice whisper, I love you. The heart can hardly contain it. I would choose that life again and again and again. I've been so blessed. One very important fact to know in marriage is there's always a way out. But the way out is not divorce. The way out is no matter how bad things get, to simply put everything we have back on the line our whole hearts and lives, just as we did the moment we took our vows. Return to the attitude of total abandonment, of throwing all of our natural caution and defensiveness to the winds and putting ourselves entirely in the hands of love by an act of our will. I'm not talking about if you're being abused or If there's infidelity, even Jesus said that you can get out of the marriage. We don't have to be more righteous than Jesus about these things. But let me just tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes instead of falling in love again, we just have to march ourselves right back into that marriage. I told you earlier that at year seven, we thought we were done. Mark had left, and I remember being at home thinking about, how am I going to tell the kids that daddy's not coming home? And I can remember really clearly sitting on the floor in front of the couch, and I was thinking and crying and praying. And somehow in that moment, God broke through to my heart and my mind. And I remember thinking to myself about the vows that I made the promises I made to be with Mark in good days and bad. And I remembered why I got married. I mean, at at that point, I loved him. I didn't in that moment, but when I married him, I loved him. And I remember the dream I had was for us to be together and have a family that loved and served God. And I dreamed of growing old with Mark, that we would walk through all of life's stages together and be there at the end for one another. And somehow in that moment, I decided to fight for my dream. 
And I chose in that moment to lay down all my hurt and anger and bitterness and selfishness and pride and step back into the fray. And that's what Mark's talking about, choosing to march back in there to do the work it takes to grow and change, allowing God to do that in your life. Our son-in-law, Tyler, a number of years ago, he's a really active guy. He's out all the time, you know, rock climbing and mountain biking and doing all things outdoors. And his wedding ring, it, it was kind of dangerous sometimes for him to have it on his hand. Um, so he got a tattoo of a wedding ring on his hand. And for me, that was such a picture of what it means to have a vow. Like you can't get rid of the tattoo, it's there. And he's saying, I am in this, come what may. I have chosen this and vowed to live with you and walk with you through life. And that's what it means to have that vow to one another. Marriage is an amazing human parable of what it means to become a Christian. It's a decision to put all of our eggs in one basket, to go for broke, to bet all the marbles. It's what Jesus did on the cross for us. It's what we do when we step into this life with him, putting our entire life on the promises of Jesus. Love is more than the way we practice for the world to come. Love is the world to come. So what are we saying today? Marriage is really, really, really hard. What we're not saying today, just tough it out. There's some tools that you need. Some things you have to understand even about yourself and about your spouse in order to break through the same old, same old. I'm excited because next week we're going to learn a great secret that I can almost guarantee you that you don't know. But when Laura and I discovered this, I was reading through some of the latest neuroscience and also when I read it, I thought that fit. that's what this scripture is saying. That's what it's been saying all along. It will stop the fighting and the craziness in its tracks. Over these three weeks, we want to give you one thing to do every Sunday for you to do during the week. And so these are just the basics. These are the things that are going to begin to, to bring change in your life and in your relationships. So the one thing we're asking you to do this week is to spend time with God daily. Make a habit of spending time alone with God every day. I honestly believe this one thing literally turned our marriage around. You know, within uh, two months, we were struggling already. And, and as the years went by, I can remember Mark asking me, he would say, hey, did you spend time alone with God today? I was a little self-righteous at the time. <laughs> Maybe a little. And, uh, <laughs> and I was... And I would always think, no, I know you haven't. <laughs> and, and I can remember, you know, just getting irritated with them. And I think, and I just, you know, I would glare at him and I wouldn't answer and just go about my day. But before long, I realized that, that it was true what he was asking me. Like I hadn't spent time with God and it was impacting me and impacting my behavior and my life and, and impacting our marriage because of that. So because I'm just stubborn enough, I secretly started spending time with God every day. And I didn't tell Mark. And he would still ask me, you know, did you spend time with God today? And I would still glare at him and not answer and go about my day. Um, but little by little, as I did this, 
everything began to change from the inside out, even including my countenance and everything about me. God brought about a change. And I can honestly say that this is the reason we survived year seven. This is the reason that we're here today because we've spent time with God every day. When you focus on God and let him focus on you, things begin to change. And so I wanna ask you to do that one thing this week. It doesn't have to be long. There aren't any rules. Just sit and be with God. You remember the story of Mary and Martha back in the, the book of Luke and Jesus had come to their home to visit and, and Martha was really busy in the kitchen getting lunch ready, preparing everything and her sister Mary wasn't helping her at all. Sounds just like a couple of sisters, right? Um, but pretty soon Martha got aggravated enough that she went to Jesus and she said, will you please tell Mary to come and help me? She's not doing anything but sitting here with you. And do you remember what Jesus said to her? Listen to his words. Oh, Martha, Martha, you are so anxious and concerned about a million details, but really only one thing matters. Mary has chosen that one thing and I won't take it away from her. Those are some of the most profound words that Jesus ever spoke. Only one thing really matters. And what was it? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to Jesus. That's pretty simple. And we can all do that. Just, just sit with Jesus in your life, in your marriage, in your job, in your family. Only one thing really matters. Sit with Jesus. Have you taken time to sit at his feet and learn from him? That's what we want you to do this week, every day this week. And if you're not sure what that means or how to do it, just grab your Bible, read a few verses, maybe two or three, and just say, God, speak to me. God, teach me. God, change me. And be quiet and listen for a while. And he will be faithful to show up. I like to use the book of Psalms. You can find Psalms in your Bible by just kind of opening in the middle. And if you didn't find it, then shut it, open it again. Pretty soon you'll hit Psalms, I promise, okay? <laughs> and read a Psalm. And if you don't own a Bible... I want you to let us know because we'll get one to you this week. You can send a, a, an email to info at cof.tv. If you're listening online, put it in the chat there. Let us know you don't have a Bible. You can go out to the next steps. We've got and some we'll, for you if you're here, right? We would have if I'd have brought them today. All right. Next week, you can get a Bible. <laughs> they will be there next weekend. Um, but we guys, we want you to read your Bible. There's a research organization called the Center for Bible Engagement. And in their research, they discovered that Christ followers who are engaged in scripture, that means they're reading their Bibles at least four days a week, they have lower odds of participating in certain destructive behaviors. They're 50% lower odds of getting drunk, 68% lower odds of having sex outside of their marriage relationship. 61% lower odds of participating in pornography, 74 lower odds of gambling. Those are incredible statistics. And it comes because you're reading your Bible. But the sad thing is they discovered in their research that nine out of 10 Americans say they own a Bible, but only six out of 10 say they ever read anything. And that's probably just at Christmas and Easter, right? Even among those who the study, in the study who called themselves followers of Christ, the rates are disturbingly low. So many people who say they are believers, they don't read their Bible or listen to their Bible if that's what it 
takes for you on most days of the week, and we wonder why we're struggling. Why am I struggling on the job? Why am I struggling as a parent? Why am I struggling in my marriage? Why can't I find victory over my sins? It's because we're not in God's word. Disengaging from the word of God leaves us as believers individually weakened. We're vulnerable to false teachings and vulnerable in many cases to to the enemy. And here's the thing, if you don't fill your mind with the word of God, the enemy's gonna come along and fill it for you. And you know what he's gonna put in there? He's gonna put stress and anxiety and self-doubt and negative self-thought and destructive thinking and fear and temptation, whatever he can use to take away your joy, to distract you and defeat you and destroy your marriage. That's what the enemy's gonna do. So it's so important. This one thing we want you to do this week is to spend time with Jesus dust off your Bible, and read it every day. Well, marriage is so impossible that if we're going to really do it right, we can't do it without God. So I want you just to close your eyes right now, just where you're seated. I want to ask Jason to come out. He's going to just play on the, on the piano for a minute. I'm going to ask those that are on our prayer team to come here across the front. What I love about community of faith is we're all in this together. Can I just tell you something? The Bible says if you'll confess your struggles to one another and pray for one another, he'll heal you and he'll heal your marriage. So I'm going to ask you to have courage today. Thank you for letting us go a little bit over so that we could get all this information to you. But I'm going to ask you to come down. And I'm not going to make it easy. Just as you're seated, you stand up and move out. Come down and pray with one of these. And say, I'm just struggling. Or you got somebody on your heart. Maybe it's a son or daughter. Or maybe it's a mom or dad struggling. Come and pray for them. Pray for your marriage. Go ahead and begin to step out even now. Go ahead. Come on. Come on up. There's, there's, there's time. All right, here we come. Let's go. It's for you. I don't want us just to run away and get caught up in the ball games and different things. This is the most important thing. Come on down. Even if you're up in the top, come on down. We've got time. We're going to wait for you. I know that God wants to heal you. You say, I wish my husband would come with me or my wife would come with me. Well, you come. You come. You're coming. God's going to bring healing. God's going to work miracles. I just want you to know that. He's going to work miracles. Confess your struggles. Pray for one another and be healed. Come on down. They're here to pray with you. Half of us here in the same boat as you. Half of us are going to be rejoicing to see you come down. Nobody's judging. Even if you have to wait a minute, come on down and get in line and wait because I'm going to dismiss in a minute. You'll get stuck in the back. So come on down. I wanted to give you time to get down here. Come on. This is your time. This is your time. 
healing is coming. See, I just, I don't know if I can even believe that. Just come give it a shot. Give God a chance. We've been praying for you. Just another moment. This is your time. Come on down. Go ahead and get in line. We're going to pray for you. We're here for you. We love you. We care about you. So proud of you. For the rest of you, community of faith, we're going to dismiss. You'll be praying for those that are here down in the front. If you wanted to come down, but you're too scared to during the time that I ask, come on down, get in line. It's okay. I love you so much. I want you to have a great week. Read in the Psalms each day, just a little bit. Say, God, I believe you can do a miracle. And let's watch what God does. I've seen this thousands of times and it's going to happen for you. Come kingdom of God upon us. Be done will of God in our marriages. In Jesus name. Amen. I love you, community of faith. You have a great week.